Welcome to the podcast. I'm Bruce Mole from Commonwealth Magazine, and we're talking today with Steve Poftak, the general manager of the MBTA. Good to have you here, Steve. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. So let's start a little bit with something personal. I, I see we're talking over Zoom and we're, I see you're in a room at probably your house. What's your daily life like right now running the T? Uh, you know, it is, um, I guess it is, it is not unlike before um, where obviously there's a lot of things going on at the MBTA. Dealing with COVID-19 has uh, taken a lot of our time. Um, we just happen to be doing it sometimes in different places. I typically am in the office several days a week. Um, and then um, several days a week, I'm working from home, much like uh, some of the other, the, the other administrative staff. Um, however, you know, I, I think it's important to acknowledge that all of our frontline employees are out there every day. They don't have the, um, they don't have the opportunity to work from home. And we are obviously grateful um, for the work that they are doing right now. Do you, um, when you go into the office, are you writing the T? Are you seeing it personally these days? Uh, um, I have been on the system from time to time. I think it, it varies depending on what um, kind of where I need to be and when. So there, some, you know, there are there are times when I when I will drive as well. So is it shocking to you? Now I take it to go downtown to uh, see the governor's press conference every day or practically every day, and I'm amazed at how few people are writing it. It is, it is sort of shocking. It is. Yeah, it, it is. Um, it, and I, I mean, I see it every day, not only, you know, with my own eyes, but I have, um, you know, I, we have monitors of the system and I keep an eye on, you know, a bunch of the major stations and some of our, you know, some of our bus depots. And it's, it's just, um, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm used to looking up and seeing lots and lots of people getting on and off the train at, say, downtown crossing. And then when you don't, when you see one or two people, um, yes, it is, uh, it is a little disorienting. So let's cut to the, some of the issues that might be facing you these days. So the governor order about face covering started Wednesday. Um, how's it going so far? Do you get the sense that most people are complying? Have you had to have, have T officials had to remind anybody about this? We are, um, we are, you know, strongly encouraging all of our customers to comply with the governor's order. I think we've, you know, by and large seen widespread compliance. People are, people are, um, are, are wearing the face masks. Um, there is an exception in the governor's executive order for people who have a medical condition. Um, and as part of that exception, you're also not allowed to request verification of the medical condition. So we won't be refusing rides um, to people who are not wearing face masks, but we are strongly encouraging people to wear face masks. And we're actually going to have a ride safer campaign where we ask customers. We want, obviously, we want the wearing of face masks to become sort of normative on the T. And we want to encourage those people who aren't wearing them. And I think I should be clear, too. I think I was a little um, careless with my language there. The governor's order concerns face coverings. So that's more than just masks. Though that, is, that can be a bandana. I don't know if you've seen the video, the bandana that's folded over with rubber bands. It can be a scarf. Um, you know, I think um, so there's a variety of ways that folks can cover their face that is effective. So... At, at your recent MBTA Fiscal Management and Control Board meeting, there was a lot of discussion about the budget. Uh, 
which was followed up later this week, UN Secretary, Transportation Secretary Stephanie Pollack had a meeting with the Greater Boston Chamber of Commerce. And you were talking about how the T will slowly reopen as the economy reopens. And uh, I think you guys coined the clever term, a Goldilocks uh, approach, trying to get not too much, uh, pe not too many people riding. So you wanna have some capacity on the T, but you don't wanna add a lot of service until it's necessary. So you're, you're, it's gonna be a balancing act. And as, if I understood you correctly, that's gonna last probably through the summer uh, and maybe quite a bit of the fall, this, this process will go on. Is that a fair summation of what you're, you're looking ahead to? Yes, uh, you know, we're looking ahead to, you know, kind of tracking ridership trends. I mean, I think if you look at some of the polling data that's out there, it suggests that folks are not going to return that quickly. Um, I also think, you know, one of the other variables here is what the governor's plan will be on the 18th. I think it will be a gradual phased in plan. So, you know, our expectation is not that there will be a step change in ridership on May 19th, rather that it will come back. I think the way ridership went away gives us some clues as to how it will come back. Um, I think we're likely to see more ridership on bus and, for instance, the blue line than we are on commuter rail. At least, you know, at, at least in the early, early months of this, um, it's something we're going to track. We have budgeted in FY21 to provide a full level of service. So, um, you know, we're doing as much as we can to make sure that we have um, as much supply as we can deliver. You know, and I think we're looking for guidance from the employer community and also the reopening commission as to um, what are some, what is some of the thinking around, you know, we can control somewhat the amount of the supply. We're also looking to see what other actors are going to do in terms of demand. Um, and I think telework is a big piece of that, right? I think we've all look at these, look at these boxes on the screen talking to each other right now. We've all, um, you know, we, we've all grown, um, at least not everyone, but, you know, many people have grown more comfortable with telework um, in these months. So, but you also have a challenge. There's a lot of fear that given what you just pointed out about people's reluctance to ride the T, perhaps, that they'll get in their car and drive downtown. I've already seen on the roads the last four or five days an increase in traffic. Um, so it seems to me one of your goals is to not let everybody start. You, you don't want to encourage everybody to drive at the same time. And that's one of the reasons you want to see people work from home. But how are you going to be trying to entice people onto the T or are you going to be sort of passive about it? Um, you know, I think we're going to entice is the wrong word. I think, you know, we are going to try to message to folks that um, the T has a very extensive um, decontamination and cleaning set of protocols. I think we're amongst the best in the country in terms of how often we're cleaning our stations, our facilities, and our vehicles. Um, so that we're doing, you know, I think we're, we're doing a good job of that. Um, I, I think, you know, there is going to be a further conversation about how, you know, how how phased this reopening is going to be. And we're obviously a participant in that conversation, but I would say we're not the, we're not the driver of it. Okay. So 
Let's say you, you mentioned bus is going to be one area that may see more recovery quickly than other areas, or, or it already has retained a lot of its ridership, a lot being 20% of its ridership. Um, how's this going to work? Uh, in your presentation to the Greater Boston Chamber of Commerce the other day, there was a reference to maybe limiting 20 passengers per bus. Now that's a bus, I, you didn't really say, it's typically, you said 53, but that's a 40-foot bus? The, it's sort of the standard size bus? Yep, 40-foot bus. So how does that work? So I'm a bus driver, I start out my route, and I have 10 people on at the beginning. And I, I get 12, I get 16, I get 18, I get 20. And then I, I'm still only halfway through my route, and there's people waiting. Do I just drive on by? What do I do then if I'm your bus driver? Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's something we're still in the process of addressing because I think there's a, you know, there's a difference between sort of passive and active. Um, and I think there's also, you know, I think we were, you know, we, we use that as a, as kind of a conversation point. I don't think 20 is, I don't think there's a magic number right now. Um, but it is, you know, it is something we're thinking about, you know, for instance, instance, in Europe, their distancing standards um, in, as relates to public transit are significantly smaller than ours. So I, I don't think we're going to necessarily be in the business of coming up with a specific number. We are using different numbers to think about how much capacity we need because we, you know, I think we do acknowledge that customers are going to have a different standard in terms of crowding. Um, and as much as possible, we would like to be able to supply that. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's helping to inform our thinking. I don't, you know, I, I don't think we're headed in a direction where we're going to have a hard cap and driving a bus is tough work. Um, the notion that they would also then be enforcing these types of things, I, 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 I don't think is a realistic expectation. But other, I th I've read that other um, transit systems, I think Chicago uh, and, and some others have sort of set a hard cap uh, for their buses. In fact, a lower, lower than 20 in some cases, as low as 15. Um, so, so if you don't have a hard cap though, I, I guess I'm struggling with what you're struggling with, if you could explain it. If you don't have a hard cap, you could have 40 people on there uh, as long as they keep getting on. You could have three. I, I, I'm just, how do, you, how do you sort of convey to writers, here's what's safe? And I think this is, um, you know, this is very much a work in progress. Um, you know, we'll certainly look at what other systems are doing. Um, you know, I'm, I, we've had conversations with CTA. Um, I don't, uh, I don't know that they, I don't know that they have a hard cap, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly, I, I may not be as well informed as I, as I would like to be. I think there's also the question of kind of passive versus active enforcement. I don't know how many places are actively enforcing um, whereas some are giving guidelines. So this is very much a work in progress for us. I think part of the reason we're doing some of this modeling is to figure out places where we may have issues and thinking, and then thinking about one, is it possible to get more supply? B, could we possibly be in a posture where we could provide real-time information to people so that then they, then they could make a decision, hey, this route is crowded at this point in time. Maybe you want to commute later. Maybe you want a different mode. And then the other thing we're also thinking about is um, if we have supply in, on other modes in places, 
can we be creative about um, can we be creative about moving people to other modes, possibly with you know some type type of fair incentive? And I think then the fourth piece of it is to kind of go back to the first point about more supply, particularly on bus. Is this an opportunity for us to get bus lanes and other bus infrastructure that allows us to make, you know, if one bus can do eight run can do ten runs instead of eight. That, that gives us additional capacity. So, you know, we're thinking about it in, in a bunch of different ways. And just, uh, just as a quick question, point of reference, a, that standard 40-foot bus, how many seats does it have? Do you know? Um, gosh, I knew, this, uh, I knew this 10 minutes ago, and I cannot, I cannot recall it. But if no, you'll... No, uh, no, no worries, no yeah, worries. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you a little bit about... Um, the budget process because I'm struggling a little bit with I know you're focused on the operation budget right now and trying to get that in place um, but before the coronavirus hit there was a lot of discussion about expansion and branching off doing a big things in commuter rail and you know sort of building a strong future is as I sit through your meetings of the fiscal and management control board now it's all about how do we make it through this coming year? The, 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 how, where's the money going to come from? Should, should people's expectations about what the T is going to do, is that all being put on hold, do you feel like? Or uh, how should people think? I think in, you know, in some cases we are, you know, and I, I think the budget, you know, the budget, the draft budget that, uh, that was discussed last week and um, will potentially be voted on on Monday. Um, again, it's a draft, um, won't be finalized till the end of the month. All it does talk about delaying some of the work on those priorities. Um, however, we, you know, this is a period of great, great uncertainty. And you know, we what we designed was a baseline budget that we we believe will sort of be a no regrets budget that we won't have to come back in December and try to figure out how to cut some amount of money from that budget because fair revenue has fallen below what we expected. Conversely, and you know, we just had a conversation about what are you going to do about crowding. Um, Conversely, if we get more folks back than we expect, and right now for the first couple months, we're expecting ridership around 10 to 15% of, of, what, um, of what it was pre-COVID-19. If we get more folks back, that's gonna mean more fair revenue. So we're gonna revisit this budget periodically. And if there is the opportunity to add back in, um, some of these more ambitious projects will do that. However, um, I would note the thing that is tiding us over through uh, FY20 and FY21 is $830 million in CARES Act funding. Um, that funding doesn't exist. We are utilizing all of that funding in the current budget to get through FY21. And um, former general manager and director Shortsleeve pointed out, you've got a structural problem in FY22. Um, that you've got to start thinking about now. So we're going to start, obviously, we're going to start thinking, of, thinking about that now. Um, the budget, the FY21 budget envisions ridership only getting to 60% of pre-COVID-19 ridership in July of 2021. So that assume that, you know, that presupposes you're going to have lower fare revenue in FY22. And that's something we're going to have to address. So, but just specifically, Commuter rail, uh, 
reimagination of that. Uh, red and orange line transformation. Um, you know, a, a blue to red connector, all these things. A lot of that is on the capital side of, of your spending budget. But should people sort of say, okay, that's going to all sort of be pushed back several years? Or what do you think? I mean, I think we're going to reassess these things as part of the, um, you know, I think we're going to think hard about these things as part of our capital budgeting process, which is upon us now. Um, I do think we have the ability on the capital side to do things now that we, um, we you know, we, we can continue to, to do some of these projects. Um, and in, in fact, we're working on a plan now to try to accelerate them to take advantage of the fact that we have lower ridership. Um, so, I mean, I think that that is going to be our, that, that's going to be our work uh, for a little while to try to figure out what's the right pacing on some of these projects or have the, has the rationale for any of these projects changed. Right now, we're going to do a one-year capital budget, which largely keeps intact um, the budget as we planned it, um, you know, sort of as we planned it last year. And then I think we're going to, um, you know, we're going to review all these projects. So let me ask you a little bit about the governance of the T. Now you're the guy in charge, but there's a lot of people on your shoulder looking over your shoulder about what you're doing. Including um, you, Bruce. In, including me. But the Fiscal and Management Control Board, which, is, which you were a part of, and now you're running the T and you're working with them, they're gonna go away uh, under existing law unless something is done at the end of June. Um, would you like them to go away or, it, cause, you know, your safety panel sort of said they, they meet way too often and they take too much of your time and you need to focus on safety and the other issues confronting the T. Would it be okay if they went away or do you want a, a, an oversight board that's meeting regularly? I mean, I think to the, um, you know, initiated by Chairman Aiello and Vice Chair Tibbetts-Nutt, um, they ramped back the number of meetings in response to the uh, to the safety panel report, and in fact, you know, I, with some chagrin, I admit that we, you know, it, it has been a staff initiated process to put additional meetings on the calendar, at least for this month, because we've essentially had to redo the budget process again, and we've got a very tight implementation timeline. Um, so I guess you know we're the ones putting meetings back, at least uh, at least this month um, on the staff side. You know, obviously, I think the T, I think there is a consensus that the T needs governance um, and oversight and that it should be a board, it should be a standalone board. Um, you know, the governor has put forward a proposal for a seven member board that includes, again, this is a part of the safety panel, um, that includes a representative who has um, strong safety experience. Um, so I think that could be a potential successor. I do think it's important to note and for folks to understand out there that absent, absent, um, absent action um, on the part of the legislature, what will happen is that it will revert to the, um, the governance of the T will revert to the MassDOT board. So, um, and I don't, you know, I don't think, um, although, you know, the language was, was well-intentioned, my sense is that there's a general consensus out there that the T needs just given the size and complexity and density of some of these problems, that it does need independent oversight. I can speak from very brief experience. In May of 2015, I was a member of the MassDOT board before the FMCB was created. And um, 
dealing with MBTA issues in the context of everything else that MassDOT has to do, um, you, you, just, you, you just can't give it the amount of time it needs. So uh, that's a long way of saying that um, you think there's a value to it. I guess what I'm sort of wondering, let me ask it this way. You have five people on the board now who are very familiar with what you do and very supportive of what you're doing in a, in a way. Um, are you prepared, even if some legislation passes, for five newbies to come on and tr try and bring them along during a period of crisis like this? Or do you think you should, we should try and extend the board for a period of time? You know, I think I'm going to stay silent kind of on what form it could take. We are preparing, you know, we are preparing to orient whomever, whomever is governing the T on July 1st. Um, you know, because my sense is as well, you know, as someone who had a, as someone who had another job and served on the FMCB and MassDOT board, um, I think, you know, some of those members have given um, a lot of time to this effort and may not be in a position to go forward. So, I mean, I think we're preparing for if we have to orient new members of an extended FMCB board, if we have to orient members of a new board, or if, you know, the, the we'll be ready for whatever the, the composition is, but it is, uh, it is complicated. And I think, you know, this board, um, again, under the leadership of, of Joe Aiello and Monica Tibbetts-Nutt has been very mindful of sort of preparing the way for any six potential successor, uh, making sure that we've dealt with some of the thornier issues and that we've at least left a strategic roadmap for them to either, either adopt or adjust as they see fit. So you're diplomatic as usual, sort of navigating these different shoals without taking a strong position either way, Steve, it seems like. <laughs> this, one, uh, this one is a complicated one. And uh, as you said, there are many, there are many stakeholders here. And um, you know, we, will, we will let the process unfold. All right. I want to thank our listeners for listening. And I want to thank Steve Poftak, General Manager of the MBTA, for joining us. Steve, have a great week. Thanks so much, Bruce. Good to see you. And we'll see you all next week. Bye-bye.